3: You are listening to the Marty Leeds Math Magical Radio Hour, where we discuss myth, math, spirituality, philosophy, and much, much more. Www.thesyncbook.com. Hello, 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 my good people. Cheerio and good tidings to you. No announcements for this evening. I'm just going to keep this thing short and sweet. I will save you all from my yammering and stammering, and we're just going to get right to the good stuff. Our guest tonight are musician and comic book illustrator Afua Richardson, and the musical guest is Sophistifunk. Thank you for listening to this broadcast from SyncBook Radio. If you enjoyed this episode, there's so much more content waiting for you at thesyncbook.com. Tune in to our other SyncBook Radio programs, 42 Minutes, Always Record, Marty Leeds, Synchronize, Pentimental, and SyncQuick News. Our newest episodes are always free, and members get access to our full archive of over 600 hours. You'll find all of these as well as our books and videos at thesyncbook.com. Our guest tonight is Afua Richardson. Afua Richardson, also known as Dr. Fu, is an American comic book illustrator best known for her work in Top Cow's pilot season-winning comic book, Genius. In addition to being an illustrator with clients including Marvel, Dark Horse, and DC Comics, Afua is a seasoned musician, voice actress, and singer-songwriter. Richardson is the recipient of the Nina Simone Award for Artistic Achievement as one of the few native African-American female comic book creators working for the largest three publishers of comic books in the world. Afua is a peaceful political activist and mentor and has developed communities of artists, teaching and advising up-and-coming creative professionals on their endeavors. You can find her on Facebook at Dr. Fu's Lab as well as on the web at richardson.info. So without further ado, let's get pious with Afua Richardson. Dr. Fu, what's happening? How are you?
0: Mr. Marty Leeds, thanks for having me on your show.
3: Yeah, yeah, thanks for, thanks for doing this. Um, I'm glad the universe is letting us do this. We tried this about two or three other times, and it just <laughs> just wasn't going to make, make it happen. So I'm glad we're doing this now. So how, how are things?
0: Things are great. Uh, I've just been really busy getting ready for a bunch of different projects that uh, I've been working on for a while. So What do you got? But, um, I'm about to start working on Wonder Woman. Um it's gonna be a digital one shot for d c comics, which I'm excited about wow. and they might they might uh actually print it, but I've yet to find that out I don't want to mislead people.
3: Oh that's cool, very cool. I see the sun shining through your window there is it is yes. it nice out or what?
0: It is gorgeous today is it? We're, um, it must be about sixty five degrees here in Atlanta, Georgia.
3: Oh nice. How is Georgia? I've never made it over there is it is it pretty cool in Georgia?
0: It is. It's all right. They're uh, It's a very mixed bag. I'm out in Stone Mountain. It's the largest uh, granite outcropping apparently, in on the east coast.
3: Oh, really? Right. Yeah. You and uh, let's see. You and Ca- you and your husband Cameron and Randall and I think the kids from Red Ice. You guys all went up to the guide stones up there, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. How was
0: that? It was great. It's sort of an unusual landmark. It's like American Stonehenge out in the middle of nowhere.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) There are these uh, very well-crafted spooky rocks, um, which I I had a a strange dream. Not this trip, but the last time I went up there. Um, it, It was so odd, I had to blog it, and strange parts of the dream started coming true someone had to remind me anyway yeah
3: what do you make what do you make of those things
0: well um i used to just dismiss my dreams i I would jot them down and think wow that was strange and and then I, i as i started speaking to people i i noticed that many people have dreams that come true in some way and dreams are just one of those things that we, we all have and we know are real, but they don't exist anywhere else uh, other than in our heads and analyzing what's actually happening to us as we dream. We're kind of making it our own psychedelic and we're dosing ourselves in sleep, changing our senses and who knows what comes in as we change the spectrum of what it is we can actually see. Um, with that particular dream out of the Guidestones, um I had a dream that I was actually at the Guidestones and uh, I was laying down and I I, I was suddenly um, standing upright without ever having stood up. And uh, there were three tornadoes swirling around a a factory way off in the horizon and then they exploded into a mushroom cloud, which is pretty intense, (laughs) a dream to have. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, when I when I woke up, because we'd gone up to the guidestones, it's maybe uh, two hours from Atlanta proper, and it's literally out in the middle of nowhere. the The town that it's in, it's a couple of miles away from there, and I'm not exactly sure why it's positioned there, but um, people have a lot of theories. Uh, some theorize that it was made by freemasons and but the builders wanted to remain anonymous um but um
3: so oh go ahead go go ahead i'm sorry
0: the just the strange thing about that dream was that um it was maybe a couple of months uh and i have to look back because i blogged it but it, it was very close to the time when um my family was hit in Tuscaloosa by three tornadoes, one of them being a, a mile wide. And then um it was the same year as uh the Fukushima uh, Oh really. And yeah. So it
3: was So you had this dream prior to all of this stuff happening? Yes. Wow. Wow.
0: And I think that happens to a lot of people, and they just wanted to dismiss it because it can't be measured, or it can't—the results can't be repeated or, or really verified, other than, you know, I blogged it, and someone had to remind me, "Hey, that happened in your dream."
3: Uh-huh. How prophetic do you think dreams are? How much? How much like of the the dream world spills over into what what you do?
0: Um. <laughs> it, it it spills over quite a bit I, I think um our minds are these crazy receptors of information and uh, all these chemicals that are swimming around in our bodies change our perception and sure sometimes it's unconscious and subconscious soup just regurgitating the things in the day and sometimes there are other things that I can't explain, I can't verify, but I know they happen. Uh, like like with my husband Cameron, I, I had a dream that um, I was sitting next to someone who fits his description and, and I drew him. And um, a couple of years later, I, I meet Cameron and we go on a first date and I take a photo and I look back in my blog at some of my old drawings and I'm like, wow, this looks exactly like our our second date
3: (laughs) (laughs) that's right and you actually showed that on that picture on facebook and it's a it's a pretty remarkable resemblance i mean it's it's pretty dead on
0: yeah it's it's a little it's a little spooky
3: (laughs) (laughs) so so what does that what does that say to you you know i mean you know when i have those things happen to me those sort of like weird we synchronicities or where dreams spill over into reality to me it was like they were um like Karens on the path of, you know, of, of the right path. And th- those were sort of Karens that, you know what I mean, if you will, that said, hey, I'm kind of going in the right direction. What what do you make of that?
0: Uh, I would agree with that. I, I think, you know, uh, humans as a species, we, we like to think that whatever it is we can measure right now is all there is. And then 20 years later, you know, we, we look back at the previous generations like, wow, I, I can't believe you thought that. Um, you know, the largest thing was the largest and the smallest the smallest. Um, There are always these new discoveries. So I think if more research was done into the, um, I guess just the significance of dreams and and the mind in the dream state that we would find, you know, maybe within the nature of space and time, like those... um, those considerations would would change especially knowing people have the capability to peer ahead in time in these various ways
3: in 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 dreams you have you in dreams you have the ability to things like fly the ability to prophesy, see within you know see into the future mm-hmm. superhuman strength things like these these are a lot of things that show up in dreams they also show up in mythologies and then they also show up in what you do as well comic books like is this are do you think these are archety- archetypes of the mind or what what what's what draws man's attention to these sorts of things that we see this reoccurring
0: um you know there are a, a lot of artists who have spoken about just that very subject like Grant Morrison in his book and I haven't uh, read it in its entirety but But essentially, he um, compares comic book heroes to um, figures in religious beliefs and and as well as in um, uh, ancient mythologies. So, Batman is Mm -hmm. Hades, is Pluto. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And thinking about the function of Pluto, it's the the planetoid that's furthest out, It's um, it, it sort of observes all because it, it surrounds all of the other planets and it's sort of the ruler of the underworld. It kind of keeps all of these frozen asteroids that are outside of our solar system at bay, mm-hmm. kind of like a, a bargeman, nothing can really go past or come through unless it gets disrupted by the gravitational pull of pluto and batman is known to be this very dark um very dark figure even though he's a hero or a superman uh is often compared to jesus and uh that can be thought of as the sun um he's 33 years old his father kael so loved his only son that he sent him to Earth. Oh, yeah.
3: Huh. <laughs> i <30 laughs> never even made old. those correlations. Wow, that's interesting. Okay.
0: And so, and like Neo being Jesus, just these updates of these ratios being present in these myths, like natu- uh, natural phenomenon being personified. Mm-hmm. Which is why they ring so true. Like, why is Luke Skywalker so, 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 so popular? Why is Star Wars so popular? Because those ratios are always present. It's, it's calling on these old archetypes that people face, you know, within scale and, and variance every day. Mm-hmm. But because it, it's calling on these old archetypes, it, it, it rings true generationally. Even if people don't know why
3: so do you th- how much of this w- within the comic book world anyway when how much of this is intentional with the storyteller and and if you're and, and since you're mainly an illustrator right you do, you do, you don't do a lot of the writing right you're mainly the illustrator
0: for now i'm the illustrator i am going to be working on books of my own where i incorporate a lot of these things it's just taking me a while.
3: Yeah, yeah. So, how much, how much of this is intentional when they write these stories? Do you think? And when you illustrate, do you try to bring out these aspects, you know, with when you know the archetypally, if you will, that we see? I mean, do you try to bring these things out yourself, or do you just try to go to the story and 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 do the best job with the story that you're given?
0: It depends. I try um, every time I, I sit down to the paper to draw these things into being because i think it's very important because that's how i'd come across them you know looking up these different authors seeing these symbols repeated you start to you get these uh, psychological prompts there's a there's an anime called uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion and basically it's about these angels that come to earth and they cause serious destruction. So children have to sit in these giant mech suits and fight these angels. And, and it, it incorporates the tree of life. It, it incorporates um, catastrophism and all of these other things that I didn't know about when I first saw it. <laughs> <laughs> Later on, y- you see it's so prevalent that you're like okay this can't be a coincidence i think people are trying to reach out through the mediums that they have to maintain this information just as our our ancestors did through stone through temples through um sacred sites those things that last are the stories so i i try my best to do that as well um it's a little bit more difficult when I'm working with someone else's script mm-hmm. but with a character like Wonder Woman, she's Diana. she's mm-hmm. Athena. So this is this is something that I can sort of take my time and play around with um, just in the way that I can uh, in one of the scenes she's sitting at home reading a book before you know uh, an enemy um, breaks into her home. And so behind her, I'm going to have, you know, uh, Demeter, who is also um, Athena, and the, the goddess of the hunt, uh, as an archer. But her bow will be made out of the moon because those, those symbols are multivalent and sort of interchangeable when talking about Diana. And I'm still learning. And as I learn, you know, hopefully I'll, I'll get better at it and, and make things more and more significant. So then, people will make the discoveries for themselves. I don't have to spill it out.
3: So, what what drew you to drew you to that's a pun? Huh? Uh-huh. Drew, <laughs> <laughs> terrible, <laughs> terrible. What 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 drew you to this stuff? I mean, was there an attraction to these superpowers that we see in myth, and that and that's why you were drawn to comics, or what, what's the uh, what's the appeal for you?
0: Well, I would loved comics since i was about nine years old and it's interesting that the comic that stood out to me the most or at least the author that stood out to me the most was alan moore who is a self-proclaimed magician (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and um the comic that he wrote was swamp thing which i didn't understand at all when i was nine but i was just so drawn to it um and it would be funny that i would be drawing comic books later but um I think what really seriously sent me on the path of looking for the knowledge was an author by the name of Neil Gaiman. And he has a book entitled American Gods where the, the premise is basically the belief in a deity increases their strength and they are manifest in a body depending on their location. So if uh, a large group of people believe in Anansi in in Africa, then the more there is the belief, the stronger this uh, deity's power is. And so once um, the people of Africa were brought over in the Maifa passage, they brought Anansi with them, so he was born again in another person. Not not that he infested a body, but that he just congealed into a new person in the Americas. But he's not as strong. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a fascinating idea. Uh, and he, he, he gets into um, Odin and the World Tree and just all these things that I'd heard of here and there, but I didn't really start... Looking into until it was all kind of put together in his books, um, which is a subject matter that he he touches on very often. So I started thinking to myself, okay, well I, I want to start drawing some of my own, you know, deities. Well, I, I thought to myself, well, what if um, each culture has their alias for a natural phenomenon? And so I started looking, just digging in the crates and realized I had my work cut out for me. But uh, I started with the moon. I was like, well, every culture has a moon. You know, it's the it's the raven. It's Koyeshakui. It's, you know, in, in just, the, just all of these different representations uh, across the board of what the moon or who the moon is. Mm-hmm. So I tried my best to consolidate it into one drawing and thought of putting out a book of a a sort of like a god alias or a god passport that you know when this particular presence is in this town it's called this then i realized that i would be searching forever (laughs) (laughs) so when i moved to atlanta um i i met cameron and uh cameron wheelchair of Sacred Geometry International, and he was telling me about Randall Carlson. I said, you've got to meet this guy. Um, he just happens to be doing a presentation on the moon. I was like, well, that's great. And uh, my mind was completely blown. I was like, wow, I knew none of that. I don't even know where I would have found <laughs> <laughs> any of that. And, and so I, I just started going down that rabbit hole and then noticing that the greats like the, the Renaissance artists were incorporating sacred geometry and symbolism. And I I started to wonder, were they great because they were incorporating those things or, 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 or I actually think they were great because they incorporated (laughs) those things. Now that I think about it, Um, that the greats incorporated these, uh, just divine symmetry and phi and pi within their compositions mimicking the the structure of life the geometry of life within their art
3: and all the masters without question did this Absolutely. i mean that that's that's pretty well known at this point though maybe it, it's only been well known in the last couple of years as far as contemporary or contemporary society is concerned right right yeah. So how much how much sacred geometry since that occurrence how much sacred geometry it, it gets into your work?
0: Um as far as my composition, I'm trying <laughs> I am um, I'm, I'm still sort of like at the very beginning stages because uh comic book art just takes so much time, but I'm starting to realize that my compositions just sort of come from the geometry. So when I start laying down grids and I'll start setting up um, perfect rectangles on a page, then start cutting in the diagonals and and making geometric shapes within um, my page layout, the, the panels that I had in mind just start appearing and I'm like, man, I'm making (laughs) this is making my life so much easier. Why haven't I done this sooner? And I guess it was just because I didn't know how, but as I'm learning, you know, as much as I can put in, I will.
3: Um, Out of the other artists that you've uh, conversed with in that, how many, how many of those people study sacred geometry?
0: Not many that I know of. I know there's um, Mike Oming, who is a, a uh, well-known comic book artist. Um, One thing that I do notice is that those artists who have really great proportions and compositions, even if it's not intentional, you can sort of draw the overlaying geometry underneath it. Mm -hmm. So even if they don't mean to, their piece works because it's very symmetrical. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So when we talk about the masters really knowing this information, it seems like at at one point they would have, whether it's stumbling on this knowledge or passing on information, at some point, you know, they, they must have realized that these natural things like phi and pi and things like that were sort of naturally flowing out of them. And then in order to work with this art, it would sort of seem that you were, by working with the art, you were flowing with this creative force. And so, therefore, it seems that would, bring, as you were saying before, bring, bring out that true, like, divine intelligence, if you will.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And if you look at, um, say, an artist like Dali, mm-hmm. might not be very present in all of his paintings, but if you look at his sketches, you can see, in his doodles especially, you'll see all sorts of Masonic symbolism and sacred geometric symbolism within it. That even if it's not contained within the subject matter, what lied underneath the foundation or even you know his intention going in, it, 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 seemed, it was very, very apparent that that's what he was incorporating. Mm-hmm.
3: So guys like uh, Salvador Dali, Alan <laughs> Moore, oh, we could say Walt Disney, whatever you think of these guys, whatever, obviously they were... That you know, their studies were very focused on the occult. So even going beyond comparative mythology and things like that, how much have you? How much have you studied the occult?
0: I'm trying to study as much as I can. (laughs) As I'm getting into this, I realize how much I don't know. You know, there isn't that that the first step
3: of knowledge though is (laughs) is admitting that you don't know and how much you don't know, right?
0: Well, it's great, you know, because uh, as an adult, you you. You get to the point where you think, ah, you know, this is all that there is and everything else is just survival and, and essentially um, getting a retirement home. and
3: Which is the death of the artist,
0: right? It really is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, this is great. It's sort of like being a kid all over again where you can look at everything differently. Like, man, <laughs> i i didn't even think about this before like the the way that trees grow the the cycles of the moon our fingerprints the way the galaxies are formed I'm like wow i can start seeing the hand of the architect whatever that is to you mm-hmm. you know uh, in everything and so it makes me reconsider everything it's like and and I'll find new information like I've been listening to a lot of Manly P Hall lately or even um on a less cheerful note Thomas Sheridan who's been speaking about sociopaths which is also important it's like it's almost like uh, two sides of the same coin where you look at geometry and these patterns and you're seeing the patterns and the um the motions of creation and you're also seeing the hands of destruction you're Mm -hmm. seeing how people who have no conscience think and how they can manipulate people using logical fallacies or uh, emotional arguments or even food and drugs to change people and veer them away from being their their true selves Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and so um it's great for co- comic book plots as well. Because um, in studying sociopaths, unfortunately, I have a few in my immediate family. It not only helped me uh, understand you know, that it wasn't me, it wasn't that I didn't love them enough or something that I did wrong. It was there's really no way to change someone if they are a a natural sociopath maybe a proto sociopath but um but then also understanding their place as well because uh, in the realm of of comics or even just dealing with a protagonist and antagonist a hero is really only as good as the villain would superman be superman if he were just rescuing cats from trees
1: mm-hmm.
0: so understanding the the thoughts and the um the evidence of of sociopaths in politics, in just fiction has helped me sort of become a, a better person, be able to warn other people.
3: <laughs> well isn't that what comic books kind of at the core of all of them in one one respect is is the thing of good and evil. Is that there is this, this vicious aspect of reality and in over to come that you know, um, you have to be a, a superhero, if, if you will, a, a, a right. going beyond, you know, use it, we could say supernatural, but of course, you know, the nature in and of itself is super. So really, it's sort of harnessing the the, the, the most, uh, the, your your willpower, if you will, and using that against these forces of evil.
0: Absolutely. And one thing that I really appreciate about the evolution of comics is that they're no longer just... 100% good and 100% bad guys. Mm-hmm. Just like in life, those lines are very blurry. Mm-hmm. And sort of showing the the full spectrum of what uh, humanity is capable of can enable people to make choices. So it's like, yeah, you made you may have made a lot of mistakes early in your life and you may think, all right, well, I come from this place and there's no way I can get out of it. But sometimes reading a work of fiction where you live vicariously through this character for a moment, you're accepting the reality of this fiction, you kind of start to rewrite your own story and become the author of your own tale and think to yourself, well, you know, I, I see myself in this, uh, I see myself in this villain and I see that my life can be another way if I choose to write it that way. Mm-hmm.
3: How much uh, in, in one sense, it's like you can identify with the, the protagonist, you can identify with the hero or I suppose you can identify with the antagonist as well. But how much of this is when when we see kids being drawn to comic books, how much of it do you think is an escape, you know, mm. to escape the world that we live in? And how much it, do you feel like it's to identify with a character that can therefore triumph in, his, in, in, his, in the co-authoring of his own story, if you will?
0: I think it's really up to the individual because a lot of times uh, people will ta- maintain uh, cognitive dissonance, and on one hand they'll be Superman fans, and they're like, "Yeah, you have to, you have to see the good in people, and no matter what. You should save them, even if they're a villain," and yet they support the war on terror mm-hmm. <laughs> without. Without questioning nine eleven, without questioning, you know, these official stories that governments have sold us for the last, you know, however many hundred years that there's a bad guy somewhere that we need them to protect us from. Mm-hmm. You know, and so seeing that, uh, unfortunately um it happens quite a bit because some people identify more with fictional characters than they do others because they've just been hurt and let down so much that you know this this fictional character won't let them down and uh, i try my best to navigate navigate through those fields especially at comic conventions where i interface with a lot of my fans or just other comic appreciators who have never met me, but we, you know, they'll see my work and then they'll want to have a conversation about a character, which is funny. It's kind of like having a mutual friend who'll have a conversation about Wolverine as if he's an old roommate or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wolverine wouldn't do that. It's like, really? All right. He's not real, but let's have this conversation. <laughs> but then it can be a tool because I can explain a concept that has been explained in a work of fiction and then compare it to real life when some people want to you know, veer away from reality and just fall into fiction. And they'll sometimes accept fiction as truth without question. <laughs> and uh, its I'm trying my best to sort of enable comic fans to think logically because I know a lot of them have been dejected and let down and I let them know, hey, I have totally been where you are but it doesn't have to be all about this you can you can be a hero too like you can you can think logically you can believe in god and science and it doesn't have to be this bearded man who'll smite you for not listening to um or or who doesn't listen to your secret whispers if you don't say the right name you know it's mm-hmm. it, it can be something more than that. And and I think comics are a really great tool to bridge that gap.
3: You you were just mentioning that like a lot of the, your fans or whatever, the the, the hardships, what kind of hardships have you undergone in your life to, uh, you know, to inform you to make the right decisions to get where you are?
0: Well, um, as I would mentioned before, my, um, one of my family members was a, a sociopath and it took a while to figure that out. But um, they sort of broke our family apart. So when I was 16, and 17, I didn't have a place to stay. You know, and, um, One of my parents had to leave to escape them. <laughs> and uh, uh, there wasn't much for the family to do but try and stay afloat. And so I just ended up couch hopping from place to place, which is really difficult in New York City. hmm Sometimes I slept on the subway um because where I was staying was just not okay, and that put me in a lot of danger and uh, I ended up you know getting attacked and having to fight and losing teeth, and <laughs> it just you know I laugh about it because it's like man no it, have it doesn't time. even yeah yeah, now that, you know now that i have now that I have time away from it, it's like wow that's it's kind of insane, but um. Uh, I, I wouldn't change a thing because uh, I can put that energy into the work and then I can tell others who are aspiring artists not just how to draw but how to overcome their, their circumstances by changing their mind. Because a lot of times, you know, situations like that, people get locked in mentally thinking, oh, well, I'm homeless and so therefore I'm a hobo (laughs) and there's nothing that I can do to escape that. Or, you know, happiness isn't meant for someone like me. And that's something that I've heard quite a bit from comic artists or, oh, you know, not comic artists, but comic appreciators or um, there are a lot of issues with weight and um, body image. Which occurs, you know, quite a bit, and there I've noticed a um, connection between abuse and obesity. That people will sometimes create a distance between people by putting on excess weight. It's like an emotional barrier that manifests itself physically.
3: Mm-hmm. So, it, throughout this this course of you know, going through these hardships and stuff like that, how many times did you just want to be like, all right, I give up, I'm done? <laughs> how many, many times? times? Yeah, right? so what? <laughs> Monthly? Well, yeah, yeah. So what kept you going?
0: Uh, art and music, really. My friends, I had some really, really amazing friends who were also artists, and they would encourage me. And um, You know, I, I would kind of go back and forth between, you know, I'm not meant to be happy, and, and I, I'm just doomed to um live a life like this and um then it it would kind of go the other way where it was like well you know there's no i I've yet to see a story where a um a great accomplishment wasn't met with great difficulty and to make it it's going to sound a little corny but it's almost like a video game you know there's you're not going to advance unless the monsters get harder you're not going to win the sword or the castle, or the princess, or the experience points unless you fight the dragon and you start upping the level.
3: It might it might seem cheesy, but it's it's almost a perfect analogy, isn't it? <laughs> you know, the, I mean, uh, the the journey to the center is a long and arduous, tough journey, but right. it, you know, it, it must be done. And, and in order to get to those next levels, you have to overcome those dragons, if you will.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. And then it, it, it's funny that you'd say dragons, and I, I associate dragons with the spine.
3: Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, how, how, so obviously creativity helped you get past all of those things. How important do you feel? Like, to me, I see as in, in, a, in a psychological development, and a spiritual development, I see creativity as the, one of the most important things. Where, where do you shake out with that?
0: I I would definitely agree with you there. I think uh unfortunately people have been separated. They are told that if uh their left brain that they can't be creative, that um you know athletes can't be philosophers or um you know scientists can't be um warriors. And um hopefully those those gaps will start bridging. And especially you know, looking at things like the the trivium and the quadrivium, seeing that math being present in, in music, geometry, astronomy, just all across the board, that creativity enabling someone to learn math musically. Mm-hmm. Uh, is critical because everyone learns differently and public school which i unfortunately went to um sort of forces everyone to learn the same way and if they don't you know they get tossed into you know some subpar class but uh, i feel that art and and music make someone more whole as well as learning you know the maths and sciences which i'm working on <laughs> <laughs>
3: so you I mean you you tackle a bunch of different mediums you're right I mean you do illustration singing songwriting things like that Mm -hmm. where does where does that creative spark come from and before before you know before we got on the air you were talking about hey I was up at seven in the morning because (laughs) I was sitting there sitting there and all of a sudden the flash of the image came in your head about what you needed to write and it came at seven in the morning and that means you had to stay up and get the shit done where where does that come from Where, where does it come from for you
0: um, different things sometimes it comes through music sometimes it comes through nature just taking a walk and, and clearing my mind if I sit too stagnant if I just sit in front of the computer and try to come up with something uh, the, the energy doesn't really flow it never works yeah it, it really doesn't yeah. so I have to kind of give to myself in order to give to the work to kind of get my mind jogging and uh, start pulling in other um wellsprings of information um i'll read a book i'll you know go for a run just get kinetic <laughs> thoughts happening
3: it, it seems like the you know the the um you know when when you go out and, and learn more the you know the um when you, when you go out and seek out knowledge Right. Whatever, whether that knowledge is, there's no really bad knowledge. There's only just knowledge. And of course, right. When you seek out that knowledge, to me, there the creative juices start flowing. Right. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. And it's like, as you were saying, you give what you, you, you get, you have to put in That seeking out of knowledge, you have to go get the inspiration for anything to come. Like I like I would say, if you're you know, if you want to be a writer, you have to read a lot. You know, if you want to be a musician, you have to listen to a lot of music. You have to challenge your ear. And I think that the in in order for an artist to keep going and get your take on this is that when the attainment of that knowledge that brings on the creativity also brings on that wonderment that spark that you have when you're a child to see everything is almost new again, and that's the that's the that's the feeling that I get and it's usually just that idea that spark that whatever that scintilla that ends up you know lighting the fire of whatever creative output i'm doing is that does that make any sense
0: no it, it absolutely does um, i think um, if you imagine knowledge kind of like a, a blank sheet of paper when you start to innovate and take in more information into your mind's repertoire in, in your reservoir you start to make comparisons like folding the paper you're, you're folding this paper up and you're starting to see other sides of the same sheet of paper but you're seeing different angles. You're seeing different formations. You, lines are drawn together where you wouldn't normally have drawn conclusions because the knowledge hasn't started creating those folds. And um, that's what I, I feel ends up happening. Uh, I'll read something and it'll spark something else. I'll start... Like uh, I was... Um, trying to think of an example. I'm, uh, I'm working on a book called uh, Aquarius, the Book of Myrrh, and it's going to be about mermaids. And uh, I started uh, listening to Manly P. Hall talk about Atlantis. And It's
3: funny, I'm listening to that lecture series right now.
0: Oh, uh, no kidding. Yeah,
3: it's funny. <laughs>
0: it's a great one.
3: It is, it's really good, yeah.
0: Yeah, and he, um, at one point he starts talking about the accounts of Quetzalcoatl and um, or even some countries, um, he, he refers to them as primitive, but you know, just not a, in a negative sense, but just folks who had a simple life. Mm-hmm. If they had, say, encountered someone who was from, you know, theorized Atlantis, say they had scuba gear and they came out of the water, what would someone who'd never seen any any kind of uh, technology like that, what would they what would they call it? How would they describe it? They might describe it as a man with a fish head or a fish body mm-hmm. that came from the water, gave us a bunch of knowledge, and then returned to the water and said that he would come back one day and then you know maybe a catastrophe happened, and um, where Atlantis was was on a fault line, and, and they weren't able to come back. Mm-hmm manatees being confused as women (laughs) they're um they're strangely as I've been looking for this all of these accounts of uh, mermaid encounters and not that I really believe in mermaids per se but perhaps uh, under the influence of psychedelics people will see themselves or, or basically inducing a waking dream bringing it back to dreams they will see themselves as half animal and um Flying which, are swim-
3: the, which are those archetypes spilling over again, really?
0: Right. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Mi'kmaq Indians in Canada, they have an account of the small um, half-child, half-fish. And the colonialist was with him, with, a, with a, a fisherman. And they found this child fish and they threw him back into the water. And who knows if that's true? Who knows if it's a metaphor? Who knows if it's... Um, you know, someone ingested some mushrooms and saw something else. Mm-hmm. You know, um, or it could be all of this, all of them at the same time. I mean, it's it's great to start making these folds in the paper and and thinking about the different connections within our, our universe because we're only really here for a short time, and to think that we have anything figured out is really just it's just really shortsighted. So I love being uh, a part of of comics because it sort of pushes the envelope as far as the imagination because they're not anchored by um, terminal reality. Like, oh, well, that will never happen, so I'm not even going to imagine it. And then you see it start to change reality. Like, I I think there's a um, um, people are looking into teleportation. because of shows like Star Wars and Star Trek. Well, Star Trek, I should let me get my my isms right before somebody <laughs> scares me. There's no teleportation in Star Wars. Uh,
3: how much how much do you see as um a, one thing when I looked at like uh, like science fiction, it seems like when we look at the science fiction like the 40s and 50s, a lot of that stuff that they were talking about like, well, not teleportation, but you know, things like Stuff like, uh, well, I mean, if you look at like, um, you remember Ziggy, you remember that from Quantum Leap? It's like, um, oh, that's yeah. almost like a fucking iPhone now. You know oh, what I mean? It's yeah. like, it's it's yeah. almost like science fiction, this sort of stuff um, is is foreshadowing things that are going to happen in the future. And this kind of gets back to that archetype of prophecy again, if you know what I'm yes. saying. Like, how much do you feel like art in, in and of itself is foreshadowing the future?
0: It may not be intentional, but I, I think artists... Allowing themselves to think beyond what Let we know to be true. Roam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then people fulfill that prophecy. They're like, well, why can't we do that? How Let, Let's start thinking about how that would be possible. And that's, they start connecting those lines.
3: That's exactly what I was thinking about is the idea is that, okay, so how much of this is subconscious that we're bringing out that we are sort of telling the future with art and how much of it is... Up to, I mean, obviously it's up to us because we have free will. But when we look at, hey, we're going to bring out Terminator Two, that this is going to be (laughs) foreshadowing what's going to happen. But we could also bring out, um, you know, a a story about, you know, um, an Avatar story or something like that, where everybody kind of uh, lives in some sort of quote unquote quasi utopia, if you will.
0: I think there was this a song lyric that said, uh, "Dreams are the life you lead," and if you start looking in a particular direction especially if you have those prompts from fiction to look in that direction, mm-hmm. then I think not only are artists calling things into being, but they're sort of calling out to those who might not be able to now, but in the future be able to manifest what it is that they've envisioned.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, um, the, I, I believe the... Um, the gentleman who discovered the DNA helix did so under the influence of LSD.
3: Yeah, I believe that's the story anyway, yeah.
0: And, and I don't know how I'd be able to verify that, but you know, sometimes I think the vision comes first and then proving the theorem comes later. So artists are sort of presenting the theory without... Um, the scientific exploration behind it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Or they, they, they sort of start the prompt for others who can.
3: So when when you... Uh, I'll give you what happens to me anyway. Like when I go to write a song, mm-hmm. there's a flash of inspiration and I, I get that flash and it's almost like that song is complete in and of itself and I'm only going to dictate from the ether, the other, whatever, the invisible landscape, that thing out of... It's, it's already inherent being in the subconscious or whatever. When you had a flash the other night and like, I've got the image, I got to go write it down. Does that come to you almost like fully formed and you're just sort of like fleshing the thing out? You're sort of dictating it out, if you will, because that's how, that's how I feel creative sparks really come. You absolutely. have to go fishing for it. You have to, all the intricacies of it, all the lines you're drawing, all the colors, et cetera, et cetera, the verse, the chorus, whatever. But you're sort of bringing yes. that down. You see, do you see it that no, way?
0: No, I, I absolutely feel the, the same way. I feel like a vessel for the work that it already exists somewhere and it chooses me to bring it into being. And all the sketching lines, all of the drafting, all of the geometry are just making it easier for me to see what already exists in my head that's, you know, kind of floated in there <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh I do my best to to bring it down. You know, and I have to use my left brain, like, okay, so how can I do this? And, and sometimes it'll be a little spooky the secretness, synchronic- the synchronicities that occur when uh, I do that. Like I, I just wrote a song, I'm in a band called Waking Astronomer, and I just wrote a song called Br'er Rabbit. And um Br'er Rabbit is a name for Um, a rabbit trickster and in addition to that there's mercury there's um uh there's there's the coyote there's the raven who stole the moon and um i've been you know i've just been singing the words over and over again and i found this really cool mask for a performance and it kind of looked like a rabbit but it was a cat mask and uh, I wore it at the at the last show that I had It was the first time I performed the song. It went over really well. I had a really great time. And that was maybe two weeks ago. And I met with my bandmates, you know, two days ago saying, yeah, let's um, let's make a video for Br'er Rabbit. And the next day, um, I'm sitting uh, on the floor of my living room putting some furniture together and i see my cat running across the street with something in his mouth and i thought it was a mouse and he was bringing it towards us (laughs) like great another dead animal as a present thanks cat but it was actually a rabbit and um i we're nursing him back to health but um <laughs> the uh, <laughs> so I wore a cat mask, singing about a rabbit, yeah. and my cat brings a uh, a rabbit in his mouth. So hey, you know I uh, think what, I yeah. think we can be vessels for what's to come all the time. It's whether or not you choose to um, develop your motor skills to be able to make it happen quickly.
3: Th- that's exactly what I was going to. Yeah, I was going to get to is that the the, the skill set, the development of your mind is sort of you know merging the left and right hemispheres of your brain, if you will, to receive these things, see these things, see these synchronicities play out. Because chances are, things like that, like I wore a cat mask and you know my cat brought <laughs> a rabbit, things like that, like little weird. Things like that seem to be happening to people all the time. But it's only with the development of your mind. And that's, and I would say that's a creative mind that allows yes. you to see these things. And therefore allows you to, well, unearth that wonder that we we're talking about.
0: Absolutely. And I think, uh, unfortunately, it's, it's dismissed um, by a lot of people. But, you know, if you just allow yourself to <laughs> think magically a little bit, you can still think logically. You can still you know, be grounded in reality and think uh, of of these crazy invisible strings that are pulling things together. Um, it doesn't have to be all, all fluff and, and new age. It, it can be, you know, grounded in reality just with the understanding that we don't know how all of this works. Um, but if you continue to push your analytical and creative mind you're kind of tapping into creativity you're tapping into the patterns of life Mm -hmm. so you're sort of playing in key (laughs) and sometimes you'll play a note (laughs) sort of like uh the thought of um what comes to mind when you play a a string on a violin uh, a violin that's sitting next next to it will start to vibrate the same way
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think it's kind of similar to that, where you know either the artist is receptive to what is there, or the artist brings about um, uh, a new reality by by making themselves available
3: mm-hmm. to receive that new reality, right. and therefore and then bring then it broadcast out, broadcast it, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you're in Waking. We only got about five minutes left here. You're in Waking Astronomer. Can you talk about that a little yes. bit?
0: Yes. It's a trio. Um, I am the singer, flute player, and beatbox artist. I don't know how you conjugate that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's sort of a sort of a super group of solo artists, the piano player, Alexa Lima, who's an amazing uh, graduate of Berkeley uh, School of Music and... Um, a producer and percussionist named Deku. And um our name sort of came arbitrarily from a bunch of pieces of paper. And anytime someone asks where our name came from, we always say something different. Um, but that is actually the truth. <laughs> <laughs> we put in our favorite words and waking astronomer came um from the hat. And I said, Well, you know, it's it's interesting because in learning all of this. Um, learning all of this information, I feel like I am a uh, awakening astronomer. Um, so it's been fun uh, creating music with them and, and sort of creating songs like Brer Rabbit where I, I take this knowledge and um, try to put it into lyric and melody uh, as best I can because uh, music to me is really important. The muse is really important. It be- sort of becomes a mantra for your life and if you fill your mantra with like negative and kind of poisonous and um just toxic music then your, your thoughts will start to um dictate the same thing and, and not to say that if you just listen to happy fluffy music that everything's going to be okay <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> there is something to making music that is you know self-deprecating or, or damaging to another human being <laughs> <laughs> so I like to be as responsible as I can with, you know, um, putting, you know, the best music that I can, but also like music of nourishment out mm-hmm. there
3: mm-hmm. Something to make
0: people ask questions. And,
3: yeah. And that's gratifying to you. You're not doing yes. it for somebody else. That's I mean, that's really I mean. When you see like the pop culture, the pop charts, it's oh, just yeah. like those are people that are writing songs for masses of people too. You know, There's I don't really see much genuine there, you know.
0: No, they're they're products. And I had sort of gone through that portion of the industry before I did comics. You know, I was a professional singer full time. And I thought, well, if I want to be a professional singer, I have to go through those channels. And mm-hmm. I just, I'd been offered deals and um I'm like "Oh, you can be the next Rihanna, you can be the next Monica." And it was like, they're, they're great. They are just fine with singing other people's music, and there's nothing wrong with that. Some people are, are singers and they're great entertainers, but um, I just have something different to say, and a lot of times, unfortunately, in the industry, if you don't make your own music, they'll make it for you,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they want you to say whatever it is they want you to say. Yeah, And I'm not really about that.
3: I was, you know, when I was younger, I always wanted to be a musician. And then then I got a, I, I got a long, hard look at the music industry, though. <laughs> right. And that was such a turnoff because of exactly what you said. It's just, you know, it's just pumping out garbage. And, and, and not only that, but it seems like... Um, you know, you get a record contract. It's really just sort of a bank that gives you money at a huge interest rate. And then yeah. with all of these, you know, <laughs> terrible terms in your contract and whatnot. So that really turned me off. What's what's the um, comic book industry like? And and have you had a difficult time making a living doing it?
0: Um, well. Uh, the good thing about the music industry now is that you can just put your music out online mm-hmm. and people can find it. With comics, it's a little bit more difficult because it's incredibly competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, but fortunately for me, I'm really stubborn and I'm really persistent. <laughs> so I've been building community online for a very long time. You know, I, I'm a self-taught, self-taught artist and uh, I didn't have the opportunity to go to school But I just wanted really badly to learn. And my dad, um, who is a physicist, one thing he taught me very well was how to learn. So I, I put myself out there and I started creating something every day. I built myself a terrible little website and just started putting my word out to as many people as possible, asking advice, asking for just um, whatever critique they could, good or bad, not everyone's going to know exactly what you can do to be better. People will throw their, you know, opinions around, but if you can take the good with the bad and, uh, see what consistently comes up as far as critique, then you can start tweaking your work and, and then learning from the greats. And then once you figure out what it is that, the style that you want like once you learn the basics just like with anything you can start to innovate Um, then you start to see how you can be of service and the reason that I say that is um, a lot of artists fail in a regard because they just sort of put out their work and sure it's good to put out work for you but what are you really giving you know when you uh, as artists we're sort of taught to just, um, create emotionally and not think, uh, like a business. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I, I had to think, okay, what do I provide? What will I give in my work? And I'm still defining that. I, I don't think that's something that I had figured out and then, um, like all right, I figured out my um, <laughs> figured out my purpose in life, and, and now I'm going to go and do it. You know, that's always changing, but mm-hmm. I I realized that there's not a lot of um, there wasn't a lot of information or not a lot of one-on-one interaction between aspiring artist and professional artist, and so I started a group on Facebook called Doctor Fu's Lab, where I try to tell and share and inform. You know, other creatives as much as possible. Some of the pitfalls, some of the triumphs. You know, just some of the things that worked for me because that's how I learned. Um, not only just looking online and looking in books and asking, but you know, going up to other professionals and saying, "Okay, show me, <laughs> show me the business. Like, let me, let me know." And I couldn't steal up all of their time, but you know, in a community, we can. We can spread more information that way. so um, that's sort of how I, I felt that that I could be of service and it's been it's been amazing, you know like I have some really, really great fans and and they're really appreciative that i I'm willing to share what it is that I've learned because I want people to be able to express themselves. I want people to be able to get their inner thoughts and their their inner ambitions out um, because I think people can be better human beings when they when they have more outlets in which to get that inner mind noise out.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm, gl- I'm glad you're doing it too, because it's, it's necessary because I didn't have that when I was growing up about somebody telling me, you know, teaching me how to express myself necessarily was. And I think that now, especially with the internet, we're getting a lot more of that. So it's really cool that you're doing that. So <laughs> do you want to uh, tell people how to get a hold of you, how to check out your work, how to check out your band, all of that?
0: Absolutely. Um, you can see my work at afuarichardson.com. That's A-F-U-A, Richardson, dot com. Uh, I'm also uh, on Facebook, facebook.com, slash afua, n j o k i Richardson. That's my fan page. I'm on Tumblr, uh, Dr. Fu, D-O-C-T-A, <laughs> F-O-O, Fu, that's a nickname that... Someone gave me because I'm always providing art cures. <laughs> so Dr. Fu at Tumblr.com and Dr. Fu is also my um, my Instagram handle and I'm on Twitter at uh Afua Richardson one word.
3: Sweet, and cool. Thanks for doing this. This has been Thanks. this has been a lot of fun. I'm, I'm glad Thanks we finally got to connect. So, um, oh wait,
0: there's also wakingastronomer.com.
3: Oh, waking So many. <laughs> Don't forget the band, right? right, right well, right. cool. Yeah, thanks. For, thanks for doing this, and um, good luck to you in the future and all that. And Thank um, you so much. hopefully, I'll get to meet you in person. It sounds like something in the future is going to happen with sacred geometry, or something. So, uh, yeah, it. yeah, it'll be good. So. A plan.
0: We'll cool. make some. We'll make some uh, Kabbalah comics. Let's do it. Yeah, let's
3: do it. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Say hi to Cameron, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.
0: All righty. All right.
3: Bye-bye. Bye. thanks for listening everybody our outro song is entitled back to you and is provided by the funk soul groove outfit sophista funk this song is off their record entitled freedom is and i can't stop listening to this song ever since i downloaded it super funky and really positive uplifting lyrics this band has two full-length records and one ep and you can download them on itunes as well as on their site sophistafunkband.com sophistafunk is currently touring all over the united states so go check them out Coming up in the next few episodes of the Marty Leeds Mathematical Radio Hour, we will be speaking with the producer of the documentary, The Pyramid Code, Dr. Carmen Bolter, activist and administrator for Sacred Geometry International, Cameron Wiltshire, and we will also be checking back with Laird Scranton about his new book, Looking into the Archaeological Phenomenon of Gobekli Tepe. Make sure to stay tuned and always remember, an opinion without pie is just an onion. Thanks.
2: Look Back I'm in the track and limit it up Don't listen to that, come listen to us Don't sit in the back, come get to the front If you think that the system sucks I'll be that rough a rabble rouser Thaler, cruelty, Schopenhauer at 90 miles an hour It's my time to fight the power Give me the mic, pass me the baton Taking your mind to a new echelon Good and evil, right and wrong I wrote you this song just to tell you be strong You can run away Try to put it off to another day you can hide your face, try to find a secret, hide place. You can try and fight it, play cool or get excited, no matter what you do. About what to be, It's not up to me, it's not up to them It's deep within, learn to trust again in you Surrounded by people who don't know the truth About all the evil that's not in the news If they had a clue Would it change the status quo? Or would they still be laughing at you? The center of attention with nothing to say Now all you got could be gone in a day If I had my way, I would let the past decay Like a phoenix and blast away Yep, rise from the ashes Find something realer than the caches Camouflage is black and blues. In the end, it all comes Run away, try to put it off to another day. You can hide your face, try to find a secret hiding place. You can try and fight it, play it cool or get excited. No matter what you do. If they had a clue Would it change their attitude Or would they still be mad at you Surrounded by water with nothing to drink Now all you got could be gone in a blink First you had of sink Then you're on the break You need to stop and think Yes you are worth more than the money you make Figure it out before it's too late And your fears come true Cause it all comes back to you You can run away Try to put it on to another day You can hide your face Try to find a secret, hiding place can even get rebellious. Give it all or just be selfish. No matter what you do, in the end, it all comes back to you.
3: You've been listening to the Marty Leeds Mathematical Radio Hour. More information about the work of Marty Leeds can be found at martyleeds33.com. You can download his full-length studio record, Opus Medico Musica, from iTunes or Amazon.com. And be sure and check out his books, Pi and the English Alphabet, Volume 1 and 2, and The Peacock's Tales. Available at martyleeds33.com and Amazon. For hours of free video, check out his YouTube channel at martyleeds33. More information about SyncBook Press, SyncBook Radio, or SyncBook Events can be found at thesyncbook.com. If you like this podcast, please support it by becoming a donor. You'll find the donation links under each episode on the website, and consider setting up a monthly charge. Thanks so much, and though some people think it's a piece of cake, we all know it's easy as pie.
0: With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.